Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, giving glory, all glory and honor to you this morning, we lift up your name in the name of Jesus Christ. We exalt you, we magnify you, and we want to come here, O oh God, to worship and to praise you and to think and thank you for all that you are and all that you have done. We have so much, O oh God, to be grateful to you for, for giving us life and health and the fact that we can rise up this morning and come to your house in a corporate way and worship you. We're grateful for the manifold blessing you have given and for the greatest of all name that has saved us and redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb, our Lord Jesus. Now this morning, Lord, even as we minister to you, minister your life, your strength, your power into the lives of your people today. Bring healing, strength in the inner man, in the soul part of our body, into, into the intellect, into the emotion, and even in the physical. And Lord, touch lives today, those that are watching and those that are here in house, and we give you glory and we give you honor through the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Welcome everyone that are here this morning and to precious ones that are watching, no matter what time, what day it is, we welcome you and thank you for being with us uh, in this morning's worship and that you could be part of us at least by way of remote, but the presence of the Lord is here. I've been doing a series on the throne and I talked about uh, Revelation chapter four, verse two, and the first thing that uh, John, when he is taken up to heaven, he sees one that sits on the throne, Revelation chapter four and verse two. That is very significant because everything else springs from that, the one that is seated on the throne, literally in heaven, becomes the one that is seated on our throne in every aspect of our lives. And I want you to understand, when you think in terms of the throne, let me just remind you the praise and the worship, and then when you go to chapter four, that is the Father making sure that the exaltation of His Son, and chapter 5 is all of the angels and myriads of legions of the very many orders of the angelic being, together with the redeemed, come in bringing worship. Worthy art thou, Lamb that is slain, and that is no other name that is, uh, that is able to save except the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I want you to understand, when we think in terms of the throne, what would you and what would you think that would be, or what would be in context of your life, what it would mean? And with that in mind, I want to talk about the two people I began with the last time, and how meaningful it is, because even though in the hearts of every one of us that is one throne, God, in control, that he is in charge of everything that is in the whole universe, in all of creation, what would it mean in context to our own lives, in our service, in our profession, in everything we do, is the Lord on the throne. And we realize the very importance of throne, or the king and the kingdom, 
when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. No, the king is kingdom and his righteousness, which is very important. I've been talking about Peter and, uh, and Judas, and they both sinned, and we are all frail people. Remember, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, every one of us are frail. We don't have all of it there yet, but every day we are being led into the grace of God from glory to glory, and we come to the realization, uh, the more we know, we realize the less we really know, and we need to know more, and that we might press towards the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. When I think about the throne, I realize it's important that we give God the importance in our life. And so when we realize the first thing of the day, whether it be rising up or the end of the day to give glory to God, or every time in between. That being said, Peter realized what the throne or who God is because his magnificent confession was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that is uh, very high. And the Lord said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven that has revealed it to you. But that being said, Judas didn't have that concept. However, both of them, while they had different view of the throne, in terms of what would be outlaying in their lives, they both have two different interpretations, or one throne, two different interpretations. In the case of, uh, of uh, Peter, it was be, maybe I could defend the Lord with my sword when the uh, temple guards came in. Or would be in terms of disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse, 20, uh, verse 6, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're thinking in terms of, uh, of what would be a, a kingdom in terms of race, in terms of color, in terms of nationalism, in terms of their culture, in terms of their own kind. But God is greater, and the concept that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us is a worldview, not simply one ethnic, but all the ethnos of the world. When it comes to Judas, this is a totally different context. And I want you to understand in the way it was, the prophetic or the messianic prophecy is to do number one with what would be the suffering servant and this messiah promise, and number two would be the messiah, the king. Unfortunately, for the old, for the times of the days of Jesus, the majority, in fact, large number, the lay would think in terms of a Messiah as coming king that would bring order, defeat the powers that be, and simply set up a kingdom for, number one, for this particular people, the race, the color, the, uh, the culture. So that concept was a myopic view of the kingdom, me, mine, and our own people. In the case of, of Judas, it was more a zealousness, a fanaticism in terms of like one who was Simon the Zealot. This man too, in a way, was trying to force Jesus and uh, thinking that maybe the kingdom would come by force. And the reason the, God, the Father sent the Lord Jesus was he would defeat Rome. So his view of the kingdom and throne is totally different. So he's thinking about himself, and for him, it is a totally different view. And I'll, I'll tell you later how they were both exasperated, because 
It didn't pan out. It didn't work out the way that they had expected because God doesn't work according to his, our expectation, but according to his eternal plan. But I want you to realize when you think in terms of what the enemy did in bringing a rebellion, you can read that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, there was war in heaven. And we find Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, particularly this passage where it says, I will lift up my throne or I will exalt my throne. So each one of us has a throne, but somewhere in the eons of uh, years or millions or billions of years, way before the creation of uh, man, this uh, being that was luminous said, why don't I exalt my throne? His throne was God would be number one. We all have thrones, and I talked about it in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 4, that uh, the four and twenty elders bow down before the throne, casting their crowns. Every one of us have thrones. They had twenty-four throne and they had crowns but it is whatever accomplishment whatever is being done it is to the glory of God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ but here is this luminous person called the light suddenly said I will exalt my throne that un uh, unfortunately uh, became the creed and that is still alive and doing well in the 21st century so when you think about the pristine Garden of Eden and chapter 3 of Genesis 1, the, uh, the demons came, or the devil himself, and Lucifer came in basically into uh, what would be a serpent, cunning that he was, and using that serpent reaches out and questions, as God said so, is God the only one? You can be like gods, and so begins the saga of our unfortunate rise and ultimately the fall, the fallen man. But we need to realize that redemption begins from that time on. Nothing surprises God and he brings to operation rescue by the blood of the Lamb. But I want you to realize that is not only affected the garden and Adam and Eve and it comes into every one of us. And so that's why in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities far beyond flesh and blood. Really, behind it all are the powers of Satan and demons and the kingdoms of principalities and powers. Now, that being said, I want you to understand, I want to bring in terms of two chosen people. And I'm talking about disciples. I'm talking about the opportunities they had. Like God gives us, every one of us, an opportunity. And, but they had a vaster, greater ministry. They were the 12 apostles. They were called to preach. They were called to cast out demons. They were called to be part of the inner circle. And among them, there were the three, which is uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. But when you realize the way in which the enemy comes in, let's talk about Judas. When you turn to John chapter 13 and verse 2, it is first begins in the heart. And so you read there, uh, supper being ended. This is uh, incredibly amazing. When you look at the one on the left hand of Jesus was what would be the beloved, John the beloved. And yet for that day, it was on the right side, none other than, the, than uh, Judas, and he was sitting there, and actually the Lord had handed him the bread. That was basically the, the one that was closest to him. And think about this, my friend, what Judas was doing, it says here, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, 
to betray him. So this was a thought. This was basically in the mind. This was in the heart. You can do nothing I mentioned uh, when the birds fly over your head, but you can do something when they begin to nest on on your head, and that is what happened. It was just a flying, it was seasonal, it was something, but what happens is it begins to win the heart and mind of Judah. So by the time you come to verse 27, listen to what it says here. It says here in verse 27 of chapter 13 that this man suddenly, Satan, entered into him. So at what point was the heart? At what point was the mind? And to the point of Satan entered into him. Luke chapter 22 and verse 3 states the same thing from point of Luke, Luke in prophet's word, entered into the heart of Judas and indiscreted, one of the numbers of the twelve. Now that being said, I want you to understand, just in case you think Judas is the only guy, we must understand we are all praised, so Satan goes about like a lion whom he might devour, and so we need to realize to be very careful. Peter too was entangled, and when you turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 23, after a profound statement, here is Peter with his mindset open himself, and the Lord Jesus Christ says, get thee behind me, Satan, and I'll tell you one of the greatest, most marvelous revelation he gives, and then the next moment is simply he didn't want the cross. He didn't want anything to do with the cross. He wanted a Christianity without the cross. He wanted a savior, a messiah, a king without the cross. The cross goes with the crown, and the crown goes with the cross. You cannot divide the two. And so Jesus was very straight, get thee behind me, and that's important. What I want you to realize in all of this, we find that something that is significant, that the two of them really, like every one of us, in one way or the other, tempted in our hearts, in our mind, and we need to understand the center, centrality of our lives and our throne, and the one that occupies is not ourselves, not our profession, not even our gifts, not even our talents, not even God-given blessing, but always must be God, and He must be number one in our lives. What you're going to find about it is, uh, uh, let's look a little more about John, when you, uh, about uh, the, this man Judas. When you turn back again to John chapter 13, verse 2, this basically is, basically in his heart, but it moves into what would be takes hold of his life, and it is progression, and it becomes premeditated. It's one thing to have thoughts, it's one thing to, and we all are prey to thoughts, whether right now at this moment there are airwaves, there's so many things that is, and if you can pick it up by way of a transistor or by way of the cell or whatever, but then there are spiritual voices, there's a voice of, that's our voice, and then the voice of God, there's the voice of Satan three forces, three voices, and the voice of people. But once we get preoccupied with other voices other than God, soon it takes control and it becomes the passion, even for Christians. I'm talking about two great 
people that have been called to be the 12. And then you find the two of them, like all of us. And that's why the Lord had asked us to pray, deliver us from evil, because we need that deliverance from the evil power, our heart, our mind, and the windows of our eyes, the windows of our ears, the windows of our mouth, the windows of our mind and heart should be constantly uh, uh, be focused on the Lord. What I find in this is Satan is looking for areas where he can find weakness, uh, the ugly seeds where he can penetrate, and he's always looking for that weakness every one of us have. But when you turn this passage, you're going to find uh, something that suddenly happens. You know, when you uh, particularly turn to John chapter 12, verses uh, 4, 5, and 6, here you find that one of his disciples, Simon's son, which should betray him, verse 4, verse 5 goes on to say, in the next verse, why was this ointment sold, not, uh, sold for, not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? What you're going to find is a woman who has been saved, who has been healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, is so profuse in her love and appreciation that no cost was enough for the Lord Jesus. Hers is a singleness of worship. And so you find in, uh, we don't need to turn there, in Luke chapter 7, verse 48 and 47, so great a sin, so great grace abound, so great the love. She was extremely, extravagantly loving the Lord. That is a woman that has been saved from a past, saved and healed and delivered, and she has such profuse love. And we would have said, wow, that is great. Not so with Judas. He is calculating. And I want you to understand, he has the trust of the Lord Jesus. He's put in charge with a trust for money. To one, it could be money. To the other, it could be the gift of feeling, the office of whatever we got gifts to us, whether pastor or whether it be in terms of ministry. Or to another, it could be a gift or talent or whatever. But here is this man who had the trust and given to him, and here is this man basically not recognizing it is God. And so at this point, he's pilfering. He's using it for his own. You see that many great gifted men and women of God mightly used, and then the gift has been used for their own personal satisfaction. So always give me money. And they're building their palaces, their empire. I want you to note something very important. For doctors who have gone through all the training, they have a right. For everyone else, they have a right. But when you are freely given, you freely get the gift is without repentance, it is given by God, free, and it must be given free. And because you are just a channel, an instrument for God's purpose to bring glory, and, and not only to God, but also strengthen the believers and the people outside. So when you look at this passage, in, uh, we went to 12, chapter 12 of John, and listen to what it says in verse 4. He was calculating the cost. He counted 300 denarii. And so uh, in the next verse, it goes on to say, not only he counted the cost, but he said, why should not be given it to the poor? Verse 5. And, and then it gives you a commentary of why he says that. Not because he was concerned of the poor. Verse 6 goes on to say, because he was a thief and had the bag and bared what was put therein. I want you to realize this. It was a natural gift that the Lord had given a trust to him. 
It could be for any one of us something or a talent or a gift, but in the end, is it for our personal gain, for our personal satisfaction? No, sir, it is purely to God. And we need to, as these 24 elders that represents the Old Testament patriarchs and the New Testament apostles, lay down and bow down before the supreme throne, casting our crown, our glory, or whatever achievement at the feet of, the, of God, our Father. What you're going to find is the enemy is looking for little areas where he could put a snare or a bait. You can read that in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 7. Think about this. And Jesus, our Lord, said, Woe unto the world because it needs that offenses will come. Offense will come. And in the latter days, it will be even greater. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10. Because the Lord Jesus is talking about the latter days and what will happen in the latter days. But it says, many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate. And the love and the faith of many will wax cold in the next verse. So suddenly, what would have been a great gift, suddenly it affects your life. It affects your, your devotion to God and, uh, and all of this. And that is so sad. I want you to know what Ephesians Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, don't give a foothold to the enemy, neither give place to the devil. And this is very important. Again, I want to realize when you turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 4, 5, verse 6, and 7, you're going to find he went this way and communed with the chief priests and captains that he might betray the Lord Jesus. Excuse me, this is a man who had the honor of working. The Lord gave that ministry in a silver platter. And I want you to understand whether it's health, whether it's talent, writing poetry, writing script, whether it be in terms of doing whatever, it's only because of God's grace, God's wisdom and whatever strength, it is for the Lord and it is for His glory and to help mankind. But what do you think he does? He now understand this little thing that suddenly became a big bait and offense suddenly turns out to be out of control. And what you find is he's willing. At what cost? Go down to verse 5. In verse 5 it says, And they were glad and covenant to give him money. Oh, so it's about money. And verse 6 goes on to say, and he promised and sought opportunity, opportunity not to work for God, for his kingdom, but opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Let's do it secretly because people will rebel. So let's just do it secretly and get him. And that's exactly what Judas did. There was a question posed by Brother Bill O'Neill, after I spoke the last time, he said, Pastor, you almost said, am I correct when, when you said that uh, Peter's sin was more grievous? I said, yes, but actually it was what is called hyperbole, simply to express something greater, to understand the grace of God. But in sense, yes, I said that, and I explained why. And I want you to understand, it's important we understand Peter. Peter did confess, and I'll come to that, how important that confession is in Matthew chapter 16, 16 to 18. But that being said, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22. This is a great confession, and after having said that confession, look at what happens in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus is saying that he would go to Jerusalem 
and all of this, and suddenly Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And that strong word in Greek simply means cast him. The word rebuke is uh, used by the Lord Jesus, rebuking the wind, the elements, Satan, and all of the powers of darkness. Rebuke Satan, rebuke powers of darkness. And here is Peter so upset. I rebuke this. This thought should never come to you. What he was looking at is a Christianity without cross, Christ without cross, the king without the cross. And you're going to find right away in verse 23, the Lord Jesus Christ answered him and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, for thou art an offense. And he says, For thou savest not the things that be of God, but that be of men. This is man thinking, man's view. So I talked about Judas, but here is a man thinking about man. I want you to understand this. Sure, for sure, the revelation that was found in Matthew chapter 16, 16, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Lord, the living God, is a revelation from heaven. But immediately comes the revelation from man. Many a times people hear the prophecies and they take the whole thing hook, line, and uh, uh, sink. And I want you to realize this very importantly, Always discern prophecy. It can begin in the spirit, end up in the flesh. And so whatever you hear this man, don't discard him, but be careful. And there must be wise people who know the word to be able to disseminate it and be able to understand. That is of God. As, because even we, as uh, preachers, just have, and everything we do with the word, but can also go stray, and the interpretations can be uh, straight. So it's very important we understand the litmus test is the Word of God and the Spirit of God is very important. Now I want you to understand when you come to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 33, listen to what we find in this passage, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 33. The, uh, you're looking at, again, back to the Lord. The Lord answered him, Though all men be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. What is he saying? Let's go to verse 31. The Lord Jesus Christ was basically saying, You shall all be offended because of me this night, because I will be taken to the cross. And they were saying, Excuse me, you are not going to go to the cross. We won't let you go to the cross. And so, as a response, Peter is saying in verse 33, no, I won't be offended. All the others may be, but I will never be offended. Now, Jesus says in verse 35, very straight, Peter, understand this. This very night, you will deny me three times. Flesh, I mean, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Be careful. Don't be proudful. Peter always had this last say. And one of the problems was Peter just was outspoken. He was impetuous. He was in sense a proud in doing, and he speaks his word, mouth out. On the other hand, Judas has his own internal problem. And the fact of the matter is he did things secretly. But in the sense, when you look at what the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, say the wages of sin is dead, but the gift of God is eternal life. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we need the grace of God every day in our life. And so, when again, when you look at this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 70 and verse 72, look at how 
Peter responds. He's denied before them all saying, I know not what you speak. It is simply because he was recognized the night in which Jesus was taken to Herod and into Pilate. And some of the people say, hey, you look very familiar. You, you are one of them. And he said, no, I'm not one of them. Not once, but three times. But that's not just so. When you turn to verse 22, 72, look what it says. Is simply, again, he denied with an oath, simply meaning, you know, a sailor's uh, swear word, it could be horrible. That's nothing compared to a fisherman's swear word. You know what? I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. No mention. In other words, he was profuse with his oath, with his curse, with his swear words. I know not that man. He's not connected. I don't know his name. That is what he said. But I want you to realize he confessed to it and he repented and was forgiven. But again, it is so sad that none of us are that perfect. When you come to this marvelous interpretation, when you find the, God, the Lord opening up his mind to have a global or worldview, Peter was still having a mind or the world between his two years closed mind a village mind me mine my ethno my people so god is opening up because he has to go to an italian home cornelius's home and god spoke to this man and now god is working in the heart of peter what do you think god shows a great vision of many animals and how do you think peter responds in acts chapter 10 verse 14 when god said eat this is what I'm giving you. In other words, imbibe what God gives you. Ingest what God gives you. And so in Acts chapter 14, verse 10, No, sir, I cannot eat anything that is unclean. That was straight shot. This is unclean. These people are unclean. He's still living in the Old Testament view where he feels he's the most privileged person, even though the Italian or the Romans have conquered him. But he still feels, number one, him and his people, pride. What you find is God opening up, he begins to accept it, and finally the Spirit bade him go. He was open to what the Spirit said, and he's able to go, and the Holy Spirit fell. And that becomes a good news, no bad news, because there are people who heard about it and then put him on the mat, and he said, I didn't do it myself. The Spirit bade me go. Now, if that is not enough, I want you to understand, Peter still had those failures. And it's difficult to say it, but even some within the Christian churches and cultures and nationalities have this. And we need to understand it's because of lack of spiritual education or revelation. Peter had a revelation of the throne. Peter had a revelation of the kingdom. Peter, Peter had a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ being the son of the living God. But in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12 and 13, Paul is writing about what took place. They were having a get-together, a great feast, and suddenly the party from James, of course, he's the big gun in Jerusalem church, when he came in and suddenly what happened, Peter just moved away from the Gentiles because why? I don't want them to criticize me for sitting with the Gentiles or with the black, or with the brown, or with the white, or with Africa, or Asia, or the Hispanics. So it is from the Americans. 
and he just moved away within Christian circle. And so much so that Paul says in verse 13, even my own right-hand man Barnabas was carried with their dissimulation. He too was influenced by this nonsense. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God that he speaks to us. So there will come in the church and within the Christian circle, we shouldn't hate them. Paul didn't, but Paul stood straight and said, what you do, sir, is wrong. You have the greatest revelation. You're a great man of God, but you don't have a revelation of this. Now, I want you to come to this. Is it Judas or is it Peter? I want to realize when you go to the passage, you're going to find the heart of Judas. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 14, you find here is this man, and you right away find he went to the chief priest. And I mentioned to you in earlier in Luke chapter 22, for money. That is the filthy lucre. That is nothing wrong with money, but now it is the money is on his throne, or it's your blessing on the throne, or it's the, it's the great riches of glory that God has given you on the throne and not God. Your ministry, your passion, your sports could be on the throne. Be careful. There's only one, and that is God, and he is on the throne. What you're going to find is a big difference between Peter and Judas. Peter had a divine revelation. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. The Lord Jesus asked, who do you think that people say I am? And they said, you are this, you are that. Now he comes direct and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets up and says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And right off the bat, the Lord Jesus says to Peter, Simon and said, and he says, this is a revelation from my father, Simon Barjana. Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood has not revealed it, but my father which is in heaven has revealed this. That is a marvelous revelation. Now I want you to understand, he says many times, you are Lord, you are Christ, and that is Peter's greatest confession. That is literally the eternal destination that makes the difference for this man. Coming down to Judas, I find it rather strange that Judas never addressed Jesus Christ as Lord, King, or Man, but he addressed him what would be called in our vernacular language, Mr. or Rabbi. That's the best you could think about a man who worked with Jesus. In other words, he got so familiar that he just didn't realize Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. When you look into Matthew chapter 26 and verse 25, Look at the way in which, which Judas comes to the Lord Jesus. Judas, with betrayed him, answered, said, Master, or in the vernacular language of the then time, Mister, or Rabbi, is it I? And he said, Thou hast well said it. Uh, not Lord. Uh, that's not in his concept. Not King. It's about is that this is my genie that would give me the kingdom, that would give me power, that would give me possession, that would give me a prize. It's to do with the entire system they be, including God and his throne, are surrounding him, and they basically rotate around him, and he is the most important person, not God. There's a big difference. When you turn to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 49, look at this. Again, you see this word. 
And forthwith he came to the master, the Lord Jesus, and said, Hail, or greetings, mister, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. It is a kiss of death, not a kiss of life, because his whole heart intentions from loving the Lord Jesus had changed into something that is willing to sell Jesus. How many people sell their gifts for money? How many people sell their talents for money? For themselves. And when you think about the plane and the mansion, all for my glory, no, my friend, it is for God's glory. God is not stingy, he will bless you. But remember, the blessed is more important than the blessing. When you think again, Mark writes it from his point and his vantage point, and that's mentioned in Mark chapter 14 and verse 45. Look at the way Mark says, as soon as you come, he goes straight away to him. I mean, there is not even a guilt about this man. His arm has become so stony that there's no more sense of conscience. And he says, Mr. Mr. Rabbi, and kissed him. That's how blunt and sad the commentary of this man is. But I want you to understand, when it comes to Peter, it is totally different. I'll come to this passage in just a moment, but look at the way he addresses Peter. Why God looks into the heart. When you look outside, from the outside, hey, we all will prefer Saul. He's the all-American guy. David, yeah, he sinned. I mean, he's a murderer, he's basically a fornicator, blah, blah, blah. But God looks into the heart, and I want you to understand, out, uh, out of the outer circumstances, we might be clean the outside, but Lucifer fell not by any outward, it was deep down pride. So when you think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ made this statement to Simon Peter. Look what he says in Luke chapter 22, and verse 32, very important, just to get a point, and I will come back to in just a moment. Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Your faith will not fail. Peter had faith in the Lord. And when you are converted, strengthen your brother. When you uh, turn around, you will turn. You will come out of this. You will strengthen the others how important that is. I talk to you in the midst of all that he is going through, there is one thing that was certain, as sure, as sure, that is fundamental. Matthew chapter 16, 16. You are the Christ, the one that God sent, the son of the living God. That, Jesus said in verse 17, blessed art thou, Simon, Flesh and blood has not revealed. In verse 18, on this, on this confession, I will build my church. The church is built on this confession. Jesus is Lord. Judas did not have. He could not, he could not, his heart was not open to that revelation. They both have failed, but in the midst of all of this, I have prayed for you, Peter. Your faith, what was the faith? The fundamental, Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. It's not based on a man. It's not based on a 
on a philosophy and ideal. It is based on God sending Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. There's something else I want you to know about Peter. I mean, he is all day talking, but look at the amount of words he says. That is so important. John chapter 6, Jesus is saying, these people have left me. There are people coming, people going. They get offended, and because of offense, they leave. And who do you think answers? And here is a man who answers for everybody in the team, including this Judas. I want you to listen carefully to what Peter says in John chapter 6 and verse 68 and verse 69. What he says is, Simon answered and said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I have burned and I have taken away the bridges and everything in the past. There's no turning back for me. And verse 69, listen to what he says. And we believe and assure that thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. I would say this, my friend. When you look at it, there is something that the big difference between the two. Yeah, Peter swore. Peter cursed. He said, I don't know this man, which is so worse. But in the end, Peter is the chief the greatest of the apostles. I don't know the numbers of universities and medical science and institute that have the name of Peter. If you and I have a dog, we would not call him Judas, okay? He's even not worth that. But Peter is the highest you could name about. The difference, my friend, is this. Repentance. Yes, there's a thing called remorse. Yeah, Judas had a remorse. Remorse simply means what that singer said, oops, I did it again, and I will do it again. But I want you to realize in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 4 and 5, here is Judas saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Hold it, hold it. Who is he saying to? It's almost like saying to Satan. You don't confess to your enemies. He's confessing to the very people that wanted Jesus killed and covenanted with him for money, paid him to kill Jesus. And he's saying to the wrong people, never once did he say to God, never once did he say to the Lord Jesus, never once he turned his heart. And he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. I'm feeling so remorse about it. And they said, what is that to us? What do we care? Just go. And what does he do? This is remorse, what it does. In verse 5, he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and hanged himself. Remorse brings you to complete uh, what would be discontent and discouragement, disillusionment, ultimately leads you to such a terrible thing of depression and you are willing to take your life. He didn't lead him to the Lord. He never thought about God or his throne, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Oops, I just betrayed innocent blood. What should I do? And to who? But I want you to listen to Peter's confession. When you turn to 
Luke chapter 22 and verse 68. This is in, in verse 68 or 62. Uh, verse, uh, let's turn to verse 62. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He just went out and he couldn't handle it. He just went to the Lord and he just cried out. I noticed this very important. There was another sinner turned to be the greatest king of all time. And even today, Israel recognizes him as the ultimate King David. He sinned grievously. But when you turn to Psalm 51 and verse 17, he says the sacrifice of God are a broken, and he says a broken and a contrite spirit, oh God, you will not respond. He was broken, cried out openly, and said, I've sinned against you, Lord. And God forgive him. It was like nothing happened. And long afterwards, while Stephen was preaching God about history of Israel, he said, here's a man that is so close to God's heart. Who? David. A man after his own heart. What an amazing testimony. I want you to realize very importantly, when you think in terms of this repentance, it's a different repentance from remorse. Because when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, listen to what Paul uses this, and he talks about this in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 for godly, godly godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death, that's the difference that was Judas but Peter's godly sorrow I want you to understand he believed the efficiency and the power of the blood of Jesus when you turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and our sins and to cleanse us from all right unrighteousness. That is the power of the cross that you need to believe. I'm here with people today or people watching. Maybe you said, I've sinned the grievous sin. I'm telling you, turn to the Lord, confess and cry out to God. And no matter what it is, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So here is the Lord speaking to Judas. When you find in chapter 13 of John, verse 2, he went out and Satan entered his heart. But listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ says to Judas in John chapter 13 and verse 27. Listen carefully. This is what he said after he had given the bread. Satan entered him, then said, Jesus, go. I've given you up. Go, do what you have to do. Go ahead. I tried to do the best I can. You know, when you think in terms of the total betrayal, what do you think the Lord Jesus Christ did? In chapter 26 of Matthew and verse 50, he uses this word friend. What? He called Judas a friend? Jesus opened the communication. Jesus had mentioned, our Lord mentioned in chapter 15, henceforth I will not call you servants but I call you friends. Enter into the chambers of a friendship with God without forgetting he's the Lord. And that was extended to this man Judas in spite of his horrible crime. Judas was not willing to repent. 
But I want to realize, again, let's turn to chapter 22 of Luke and verse 32. This is what he spoke to Peter. And he said to Peter, I have prayed for you. While you're going through these temptations, I kept you in prayer. And I'm going to say this to you. The Lord keeps you in prayer before the Father at his right hand. He's saying, Father, help her. Help him. Help these precious ones. Thank you. Father, for the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ, that your faith will not fail. God allows it because he wants you to go and strengthen your faith in spite of it, despite it. That when you are restored, that when you are revived, that when you are converted, turn around, you will strengthen others that will go through that situation. Give the Lord a clap offering. John chapter 18, verse 18. This is where Peter was at that very moment. There was a coal of fire, and it was there. He denied the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is preparing almost the same thing in John chapter 21 and verse 9. And he's laid out the coals of fire, and he's prepared the breakfast for them, and Jesus is come. And Peter says, ah, that reminds me of something not to condemn. I want you to realize what's so important is right there, Jesus says, come and eat with me. And while he was eating, Peter is saying, oh my God, I remember the scene, but it is not to condemn him. You know, when you turn to John chapter 13 and verse 38, you find this three times, Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in the setting in John chapter 21, verse 15, 16, and 17, the Lord Jesus Christ is asking Peter, asking Peter, full name. It's almost like saying, Subasterian. It's almost saying, Thomas Delineo. Simon, he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Simon says, I love you, Lord. Deep in his heart, he has never ceased loving the Lord. I want you to understand this. The problem with Christians is not they don't love him. The problem is beyond loving him, they have never made him number one on the throne. We fall, we fail. And Jesus restores us by saying, do you love me? Three times he denied him, three times. Again he says in verse 16, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, I love you. And the response of the Lord Jesus Christ is feed my sheep, feed my lamb. What a responsibility. When you look into verse 17, the Lord Jesus now comes down to his level. Okay, agape, unconditional love is difficult for you at this moment. You may not comprehend that, but I'll come down to your level. Peter said, I feel you. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, the English expression is not there, it's one word, but in Greek, the Lord Jesus now comes to his level and says, I love you as a friend. Do you love me? And he was grieved. Why would the Lord say three times? Three times you denied. Three times, do you love me? And he says, yes, I feel you. And Jesus said, feed my lamb. Why do I think Peter is great? Why do I think Peter is amazing? Just the same way I think David. Don't look at their past. Look at their present. 
I want you to realize this, my friend. Peter's love for the Lord was not simply filial, but it was agape. At the close of his life, when they were going to kill him, he never denied the Lord. He says, you know what? Do me the honors. Don't crucify me the way you did with the Lord. Crucify me upside down because I cannot take that honor. I call that agape love. The most amazing love. The greatest love. Judas failed. Judas had all the opportunity. Judas just failed God. So the question I wanted to ask is who should we emulate? Should we emulate Judas or Peter? You're going to be surprised. Neither one of them. But the Lord Jesus did give us an opportunity that we would be able to find some means by which we would emulate. And if you turn to this passage in, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3, this is something the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. He took up a child saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And in verse 2, he goes on to say, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. In verse 3, he says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted, turn around, and become as a child, little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, he goes on to say, Whosoever therefore shall humble, is not being childish, childlike, humble, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Both the problems had to do with not being humble enough to have the Lord and to fall down before his throne and casting our crowns before him. Luke, or let me take Mark chapter 9 and what you find in verse 37, I believe, and verse 38. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name, receives me. Excuse me, let me read it again. Whosoever shall receive one such child, the gift and the preciousness of a child, receives me. And whosoever shall receive me, receives not me, but him that sent me. Verse 38, he goes on to say, John answered, Master, we saw, let's go down to verse 36. I will just go back to verse 36 before we go to 37. Jesus took a child and sat in the midst of them. Jesus took a child and sat them right in the middle. This is what you got, see and tell. What do you mean see and tell? Jesus preached, Jesus taught, but this is now see and tell. Do you see the child? He set him in the midst of the twelve, and when he had taken him in his arm, he said unto them, now read verse 37. Whosoever shall receive one such child or children in my name, receive me. And how should I emulate? Not childish. Before God, we are children of God. Let's be like children before God. Children knows no hate until they are trained to hate. Children knows not what would be diplomat. They're just open. They love. And children love. Later on, the generation and the things happen and they get away from love of the father, the mother, or family. But remember, 
when you were young and when you fell, who came? It was your father or mother. Who took care of you? Who would give their life for you? It was your father and mother. I'm not talking about earthly. I'm talking about our father in heaven. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.